Welcome to Linux Link Radio by TimeSys, the podcast for embedded Linux developers. Hi, this is uh, Gene Sally. I'm with uh, TimeSys. We're really fortunate today we have uh, Thomas Kleisner with us, who's done a lot of work on uh, the real-time extensions that had been folded into the, the 2.6 kernel mainline. Um, I don't know how many folks are out there that, that need or watch the real-time uh, market and with respect to, to Linux, uh, but there's been great advancements into making a lot of that open source opposed to some of the proprietary solutions that are out there. So for this format, I mean, I mean the, what we wanted to talk about today was what's in there and uh, what is you know, real-time. We have a lot of folks that... Uh, that get in touch with us and say, hey, Gene, I'm looking for a real-time system. I need it to be you know, really fast. And uh, sort of immediately the red flag goes up. I think to myself, well, it's not really fast. And I know Thomas, we were talking, even before uh, before we were getting ready, I was talking to Thomas about this. And he was like, yeah, you know, we, a lot of people do have that misconception. So Yeah, it's a common misconception. It's uh, it's widespread and uh, in uh, in engine in uh, over engineers, so yeah. real time has to be fast. No, um, yes, it has to be fast, but only as fast as specified, not as fast as possible. Uh, so Dag Niehaus, uh, a professor at Kansas University, uh, yeah. uh, uh, made this uh, statement a couple of years ago, and I think it describes exactly uh, where the problem is. People try to. Uh, say, we need real time because it has to be fast. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it has to be fast, but only as fast as specified. So you meet the deadline, so it becomes deterministic. That's the that's the main point. Oh, so, okay. so because I know when I talk to people, I say almost the same thing. It's like, well, you're really looking for behavior within a certain, you know, some action within a certain interval. Yes. Um, the, and, and I know the next thing that we always get as well, will it work within n many microseconds, microseconds on Y processor? And that's another. It's a, it's an entirely reasonable question because people have a certain goal, like they have something to measure. You know, they have uh, you know some factory thing that they need to turn on and off. Or they have some data stream coming in, and it's always sort of tough to, to, to give those people an answer that they want. Yes, it is you know? hard uh, due to a couple of factors. Uh, back then, when we were talking about real time on microcontrollers, it was very easy because uh, you looked at the data sheet and uh, exactly knew. Uh, the interrupt will uh, the interrupt service routine will be entered exactly n clock cycles after the hardware signal happened. Mm -hmm. uh, on modern CPUs, you, there is no guarantee for this. There are too many factors uh, which influence this. We have caches. We don't know if the interrupt service routine code is actually in a cache line. If it is not, it's had, it has to be reloaded from memory. We have um, DMA, which might block the processor bus for a certain amount of time, yeah. um, and some other factors around that. Um, so it's really hard to make this uh, pure mathematical decision if it, if it will always happen or not because the, the number of factors is too high to get a precise mathematical model of it. So we could do this with... We can still do this with DSPs, with microcontrollers, yeah. but not with the modern all-purpose uh, uh, all CPUs. Mm -hmm. 
but we want to have them in the devices because they provide us networking, they provide us USB or um, graphics interfaces and, and things like this. Um, and we want to leverage the power, the computing power of those CPUs, mm -hmm. so we don't have to build two devices, we can build one device. Mm -hmm. If it comes down to extreme um, latency requirements, it's often you have to think in the, in the hardware design how to achieve this. Yeah. It's often better to put a $3 microcontroller on the same board, let him, this microcontroller do this special uh, response uh, uh, time thing, or you have some functionality in an FPGA, which yeah. is common. FPGAs or, or uh, uh, things like this are common on, on, on today's boards. So mm -hmm. often you, you have to think it from the engineering point of view. What can I load off from the main CPU, which makes me it easier to do this time-critical thing? So the immediate response might, might happen in the FPGA, so the main CPU can have a more relaxed real-time requirement. Mm -hmm. So that's so that's that's pretty clever. I mean, r really, what it is is it's 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 usually the other way around. You're solving a software problem with hardware, hardware, which is yes, yeah, because sort of we can't we can't solve the hardware problem, which is inside this modern all-purpose CPU with software. There's no way. Yeah. Uh, yes, there are ways, but if we do that, we lose a lot of the functionality of this CPU, and we, we don't want to do that either. Yeah, so that's, that's actually a fairly fairly clever approach. So I, I, I know probably the folks that, that are listening want to know, or put it this way: so we talk, we do talk to people, and they really don't understand what is in the real time patch. I mean, the word real time means something to them, and but when they when they hear the words real time patch in Linux. And you ask them, what's in there? You know. What's in there? Well, it uh, as a couple of components. Some of them have been merged already into into the mainline kernel. Um, one of the major components is um, support for priority inheritance. Okay. Um, this is uh, to prevent priority inversion. Uh, let me explain it. You have a low, pr a high priority process and a low priority process. Mm -hmm. um, both have need to access some shared data or uh, hardware resource. Mm -hmm. So you have to serialize the access that because it's there's no way that both write at the same time to the to this data structure or to the resource. Sure. Um, so you need. Um, concurrency controls. Okay. Concurrency controls um, exclude or protect this data structure or protect this hardware resource f uh, so that no concurrent access happens. Yeah, that's why they call mutexes, huh? Yes, mutexes, spin locks, we have a lot of them. A I, lot I couldn't spell exclusives, so I'm glad they call them mutexes. Yeah, <laughs> it's shorter. <laughs> and um, so now what happens? A low priority process comes into the critical region where it actually takes 
this concurrency control, be it a mutex or a spinlock or whatever. And now it gets preempted by a high priority process, mm -hmm. which now gets stuck on this concurrency control because it wants to access the same resource. So, wait a second. So, if I understand what's happening, is that so these two threads both both want the same resource? And what's happening is, is the lower priority thread has acquired the resource. Right. It's blocking the high priority thread. From, is that? Yes. Is that? Okay, but sure but now, but this is, if we are only talking about those two processes, that's nothing bad because the high priority process just waits until the low priority process finishes and frees the resource. But now a third process comes into play. It has mid-range priority. So it will preempt preempt the low um, the low priority process mm -hmm. for an infinite amount of time thus is processing gets scheduled away and at some time after that the low priority process gets the CPU again mm -hmm. finishes the critical reason, freeze, uh, region frees the resource so and then the high priority process can run and access this resource. Oh, so so what happened is a priority inversion because we we actually put the priority of the high priority process below the priority of the low priority process, which is bad because that what what ha what happens there is unbound latency. We cannot control it because we don't have any idea how many. Uh, processes with, where the priority is higher than the low priority process will be runnable at this time. So, just, I just want to make sure that so that you're saying you're saying what's happening is that this low priority thread, you know, you know, has the ball. We'll call it the ball, so to speak. Yes. Um, so it has the ball, and then it gets stopped from running by a process that really isn't interested in right. in the ball that it's holding. It's but it wants totally to do something else because it just gets scheduled out. So right. To speak. So the schedule is running since hey, low priority resource. Low priority thread, you need to wait. And what really happens is that the high priority thread is waiting as though it's a low priority thread almost. That's, that's almost what happens. Huh? That right. Could, that it, gets, for it, it gets for a while, it gets a low priority process. Yeah. And that's what's called in computer science priority inversion. Uh -huh. So there are a couple of ways to uh, prevent priority inversion. One of those is priority inheritance. What happens is, when the high-priority process uh, comes to a stop because it cannot access the resource, because the concurrency control is held by the low-priority process, then the low-priority process immediately inherits the priority of the high-priority process up to the point where it frees the resource. And then it goes back to its original uh, priority. Oh, so you sort of game the system so that the, the 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 thread that is waiting changes the or more appropriately the thread that has the resource now all of a sudden can run in such a way that it can't get interrupted, or at least it won't get it up interrupted up until the limits of the waiting thread. Yes, uh, so so it only won't it will get um, preempted by something which has higher priority. Okay. But nothing which has lower priority. lower priority than the than the high priority waiting thread. Uh -huh. So that way we make sure 
that on the priority level of the high priority thread, mm -hmm. the low priority thread runs to completion of the critical region and frees the resource as fast as possible. Okay. So that's the mechanism of priority inheritance. Mm -hmm. So it inherits the priority of the high pro waiting high priority thread up to the point where it frees the resource. And then it goes back. And then, and then it, it goes back to normal and it's out of the way. So that's an, a mechanism we... It, it's not a new invention. It is, has been used in uh, 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 operating systems for a long time. Yeah. And uh, what's currently in the mainline kernel already is support for priority inheritance, uh -huh. mutexes in the user space. Yeah. Um, the infrastructure we had to build for this in the kernel... Uh -huh is the base component which we leverage for in-kernel priority inheritance. Okay. So that means we have also mutual exclusion devices uh, or mutual exclusion devices and concurrency controls inside the kernel. Mm -hmm. And <coughs> currently <coughs> the mainline kernel is not using them. Uh, not, not doing, uh, the mainline kernel is prone to pri priority inversion still. So if you have something like a system call, you can still it, yes you can still get stuck in, if you're not careful right. Um, so there are um, a lot a, a couple of ways how this can happen. Mm -hmm. um, so the the real time preemption patch actually converts the in kernel uh, concurrency controls in. To, uh, to use this priority inheritance infrastructure so that also priority inheritance happens inside the kernel. Okay. So we prevent actually priority inversion inside the kernel on, too. On the kernel side, okay. Yes. So then we have the full picture user space and kernel uh, uh, side protected from priority inversion. Um, this is one part. Uh, it's a very important part. Well, I have one question because I'm thinking. So, as a user, what do I have to do to take advantage of? It? I mean, do I have to really change my program? Do I need to set up a special sort of mutex? Um, I mean, yes, in uh, for user space, you have to re uh, you have to configure the the pthread mutex you are using for uh, protecting your shared data uh, to be to have the uh, priority inheritance protocol. So, so, so when I do my, you know, when I do my create on that, I just need to make sure I pass on the right, right set of flags and the attributes. So right. Right. Okay. right. It's a, it's a, it's a function call. You, you, you set the, the mutex protocol to, to priority inheritance. Okay. Well, it's probably been in the. I think it's been in the POSIX specs file. Yes, long, right? it so is. Yes, it is there, but uh, so it. It okay. needs kernel support, so the the policy of GLIPC mm -hmm. um, is they provide the user space support only when the kernel support is available. Yeah. But because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree, yeah. So this is one port. Then we one source of long latencies in the kernel we identified are interrupt handlers. Okay. So to make 
them preemptible and not interfering with uh, high priority processing, um, we converted the interrupt handlers to run inside of threads. Okay. That means. Do you mean the top half or the bottom half? No, the the top half. Okay. So what happens is the the in, the hardware interrupt happens. It still uh, interrupts the running, whatever. Yeah. It goes into the kernel, but instead of immediately running the handler code, it just wakes up a thread, which then runs the handler code. So and that you make schedulable. Yes. Ah. So the, I make this schedulable so I can adjust the priority of this thread okay. and so I can configure my system to have um, a user space process running with higher priority than most of the interrupts. Okay. Because I'm not interested in those interrupts. So can you, do you have, uh, so as a user, can I control which interrupts get what sort of yes. handling? Yes, you can do this from the command line. There are tools to do that. So if I want to be a smarty pants, I gotta like turn on the keyboard if I want to do it. Yes. Maybe that's a, I could try that on some people here. I think we'll do that for testing. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what they like. Yeah, maybe not. Well, that's really cool. And um, then one part I was mainly involved, and I was involved in the other parts too. Uh, but where I was working on the last one and a half year is high resolution timer support. Well, tell me how that fits in. Um, well, if you want to schedule um, a periodic process or a periodic thread, um, the current just, the just current mainline kernel ha is tick based. It's based on a periodic tick. It happens. It's configurable. It's either every millisecond or every four or every ten milliseconds. So this is the this is the the, the resolution or the, the uh, you get for your periodic scheduling. Yeah. Just to make sure, like, a, so I understand. So a periodic thread is one that runs, like, that is selected to be runnable every so many interval time okay. uh, units. So that's what a period. Just yes. Okay, I just want to make sure I understand. So right. So r right now in the in the in the mainline kernel. Um, which is based that the, the timers are based on uh, an kernel internal periodic uh, time stamp. Okay. So every four milliseconds, the internal time is compared to the timers which were uh, armed from a user space process uh -huh. and checked if they already expired or not. Uh -huh. So the accuracy is plus minus four micro. Yes, plus minus four milliseconds. Which is a lot. I mean, that's yeah, it can be a lot. It's it's okay for tons of applications, but if you want to do precise data acquisition mm -hmm. on uh, based on 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 a on a on a time uh, frame, then you don't want to use that. Yeah. So there was the requirement to add high resolution timers. Mm -hmm. um, there have been uh, attempts uh, in the past to uh, provide high-resolution timers for the Linux kernel, but they failed due to a couple of different reasons. The, I, there's a write-up on rt.wiki.kernel.org, uh -huh. which is the, well, let's say, official home of the 
real-time preemption patch, um, where it is explained in detail why it wasn't possible to do it uh, in the old way. So we created a new uh, timer infrastructure inside of the kernel, HR timers, which are still driven by the tick, uh-huh. uh, but the tick of what? Just it, the the system tick. Ah, okay. So we didn't increase the the accuracy of the timers, but mm-hmm. we uh, provided we provided the base infrastructure to do high resolution timers on top. Yeah. So that's actually um, hopefully happening right now. Andrew Morton. Uh, scheduled the high resolution timers and as a byproduct of high resolution timers dynamic ticks mm-hmm. which is uh, more targeted to power saving mm-hmm. uh, in uh, for inclusion into to uh, into the next uh, kernel 2621 so high resolution timers allow you to schedule a periodic uh, task every 475 microseconds if your CPU is fast enough. Yeah, that's, I guess, one thing. And if there are actually timer devices which can provide this accuracy. And that's one of the things I was I was thinking about. I was listening. It's like, well, it's really nice if you have a high risk timer that's driven by the click of you know, some timer clock, but if you don't have a, a clock, if you don't have a clock on your CPU or some device that generates ticks, well, uh, then you can't watch. use it. Yeah. You have the pre uh, you have the prerequisite that there is something which provides accurate uh, time to read out, so that we a- actually have a precise yeah. notion of what time it is, and some device which can precisely uh, provide this next event. Yeah. So it sounds like something that you have to do some amount of work per processor? Mm, Yeah, I was mostly working on on a generic infrastructure. Okay. So that the actual conversion of a specific processor or a a processor family is a certain amount of work, but it's rather specific to the to utilize the Devices which are specific to this CPU. Okay. Yeah. So most of the, well, I guess you've said most of the infrastructure is done. You just have to fill in the template. Yes. Uh, to to correctly handle you, uh, the, the we, timers. We we have to to that. make use of the actual devices which are specific to the CPU or uh, to the CPU family. Oh wow. Okay. Well, and that that makes perfect sense uh, based on how it's, how it's architected. Yes, uh, because the the. A lot of attempts have been made to do this before, and they all ended up with a lot of uh, things directly in the architectures, in mm-hmm. the CPU code, which you don't want to avoid. You want to keep that small yeah. and, and do all the, the, the common infrastructure in a, in a, in a separate place mm-hmm. because it's shared over all architectures, and Linux has 24 of them, so yeah. it makes... A, a, a huge amount of sense out of the out of the maintaining point of view. Yeah, it's a lot easier for a board vendor that ha- puts a specialized yes. clock to then you know put that support in there without having to do a ton of engineering. Right, and the same applies uh, for dynamic ticks. Dynamic ticks is um, uh, desired for power savings. Right now, um, if uh, CPU goes into a deeper power sleep mode, it's mm-hmm. especially interesting for laptops or battery-powered uh, devices, then still this 
in kernel internal periodic tick happens, mm -hmm. but it often happens for nothing because yeah. there's no work. Mm -hmm. So it just happens to increment uh, some notion, one more tick happened and does nothing. Yeah. Um, <coughs> so dynamic ticks also have been, uh, there are some architecture-specific implementations, but we want to migrate them over once the infrastructure is, the generic infrastructure is there. Um, at the moment, when a CPU goes into idle state, which means it can reach a deeper uh, power-saving state, mm -hmm. then we pre-calculate when will exactly the next timer happen, mm -hmm. which actually has to do work. So we don't wake up every uh, four milliseconds to look if there's work. Oh, we look up front, uh -huh. oh, it will happen in 350. Uh -huh. So we can actually, based on this, depending on the, on the power modes of a CPU, if we know up front it's going to be in 300, mm -hmm. we can maybe go immediate into a deeper power mode so the power saving actually will be higher, so which exceed, uh, uh, which will give a longer battery time. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, for devices. So it's it's just a byproduct of the design. Yeah. We we had this in mind when we came up with the design. We we implemented the high resolution timers first because there was customer demand. But we are uh, we are uh, now uh, the the current state is that also this dynamic tick feature is, is, is fully functional. Wow. That and a lot of people are interested in, uh, especially happy are the, the folks of the OLPC project, you mm -hmm. notice? One laptop per child? Yeah. So they, they actually uh, were a great promoter of the, of the dynamic ticks feature and t totally happy that it's going uh, to be there. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, any, any way they can shave off considering their price point. But, I mean, if you're still running a, a battery-powered device in the field or you have to, yes. or, or weight's a concern, I, I know for some of our customers, the weight of the device is a great concern. Um, uh, anything that will make that device lighter by meaning less battery is, right. is definitely something they have a lot of interest in, a fantastic amount of interest. Sure. So I guess the other thing that I did want to touch on a little bit is that we always talk about a scheduler and, Think something gets scheduled, and uh, for folks that is maybe a little bit elementary, I guess for some people. But can you talk a little bit about the, the changes that, that went into the, the the actual thread scheduler in Linux in order to make this happen. Uh, well, the the thread scheduler didn't change much in course of the real time preemption patch because it almost fits every need. It's the it's extremely fast. It's so it's O of O of one. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's predictable. We know exactly what time it takes to do to select the next runnable process. Yeah. Um, o, o, o one, I guess, means what you can. It takes the same amount of time to schedule. Yes. Thread, no matter how many are running. Yes, independent of how many are running or runnable. Or yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Because running can only be one. I agree. They are runnable and waiting to become running. Yeah. Uh, but we have to pick out uh, one, and we do it based on priorities. But it's it's a it's a constant amount of time lookup, independent of the number of uh, threads hanging around. Uh, there is an order of magnitude more complexity if F SMP comes in play. But this is uh, a general problem; it's not related to real time. Yeah. So, so it's well, 
it makes real real time on SMP is extraordinary complex, but mm-hmm. even SMP itself is complex. But the SMP support on the Linux kernel in general is in good shape, so we we have a uh, not only embedded users of real time. There are users which use that actually on eight uh, way or sixty four way uh, machines. Mm-hmm. So it's um, uh, mostly. Uh, IBM, I think, created a, a, a word for that, enterprise real-time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the real-time efforts in the Linux kernel are not only driven by the embedded industrial space, there's also uh, interest in the enterprise space. Yeah. yeah I, I know, at least for enterprises, you still have situations where real-time still means as it happens. And so, uh, well, even though it's starting to go away. They, they have... They have a different time scale for for that. That's yes. Uh, but they what they nevertheless want to have the guarantee that within that time scale, some code path gets executed. So I don't know much about the applications, but I can think of transaction servers. Yes. Yeah, I, I can imagine anything that has to do with you know with predictably booking. Yes. A, yeah. A, yes, a because you want you don't want to uh, uh, one one uh, um, example was brought up in a in a in a talk on a conference. So, um, automatic trading mm-hmm. is based on you you pull you push out a bid or ask, mm-hmm. but you. Usually, you, most of them get cancelled before they actually uh, yes. build a contract. Mm-hmm. So, if your cancel is delayed by priority inversion for too long, it actually comes to a contract, and so there's things you want to avoid because it's a lot of money involved. Yeah. So, I, I know we're, we're, we're starting a little bit short on our. Our time. So, what's what are you working on next? I mean, what do you see coming up in the next six months to year? Mm, we are gradually merging the bits and pieces of the real-time preemption patch into the mainline kernel. Uh, we have the general go to do that from the last year's kernel summit. Mm-hmm. Um, this will take a fairly amount of time uh, because we carefully take out one feature or one new functionality, bring it into shape so it gets acceptable in the mainline kernel. It goes through review cycles, through testing in Andrew Morton's tree, and finally ends up in um, um, Linus Torvald's tree. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, this will keep us busy for the next year. (laughs) Well, I guess one of the nice things is that you, is that more users will be getting, in essence, real time features inside of their kernel. Right. Um, and so, you know, as you know, a geo, geo regular user, or I guess I'm a gene regular user, right? So, how you know, what kind of benefit will I see from that? Do you, do you think you're going to start to see applications? Yes, uh, they're are actually uh, one of the largest user group right now outside of industrial usage of the uh, of the real time preemption patch are folks who are doing. Um, Hard disk recording, uh-huh. video processing. Oh, I see. Because uh, there's an an an, pro- an open source project check, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's a it's a hard disk recording software where you can do I think forty eight tracks or something like that, including uh, effect processing and mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's used for real uh, music production for for live recordings. And you don't want to have this sound on the hard, uh, on on your recording, which happens if something is not processed in time. Yeah. So those the. Uh, uh, those folks are happy that those features come in because it gets makes their life easier. Mm-hmm. So that this is a uh, an, a non-industrial, maybe also desktop user uh, uh, interest use case. Because yeah. I, I just I guess myself, I know we started at the beginning about me turning down the priority of someone's keyboard and mouse, but I would like mine to be higher so I didn't have to wait all the time. It always it always bothers me. You know, if nothing else, I expect the mouse to move around. <laughs> Forget if the rest of the system's not doing anything. I want the mouse to move around. Um, well, Thomas, it was great. Uh, I, it was great having having you, and I'm glad you could spend some time with us. Uh, yeah. Tell us what you're up to, and and help us, uh, you know, help the, uh, us understand what's inside of uh, the real time Linux and uh, and what's coming up in the next year or so. It, it sounds, I mean, it sounds really exciting, and I think it would be great that you know real time is going to make it into the main kernel. Right, and be just another tool for you uh, uh, to have instead of some specialized right. uh, thing. Then, but we'll, we'll see. Which is well, interesting application. Well, things in general, things which get into the mainline kernel get better because mm-hmm. the, the the they get a broader exposure to users. Yeah. So the quality improves and it, it gets new features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are happy to provide this. <laughs> Well, again, thank you very much. <coughs> Welcome. Thank you very much. Appreciate you uh, again spending time. Oh, and if you have any questions or comments, uh, you know, drop us a line at podcast at timesys.com, uh, P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And, uh, of course, you can always visit us. Uh, drop by at timesys.com, and um, uh, there's, some, there's a contact us link on there, and you can give us a, a ring if you like. Uh, or uh, drop a line. I think you can reach sales at sales at timesys.com. You'd never believe this, but the sales guys always happy to talk to somebody. Um, and then again, you know, podcast at timesys.com. If you have any questions or comments or follow up uh, about what we talked about today, uh, if I get something in, oh, we can address it on a future show. I, I know Thomas is based out of. I know you're in Germany. We're, Germany, yes. We're, whereabouts? Uh, near the Switzerland border, oh. down south. Wow. So I'm very jealous. So he's he's a. Uh, um, so, uh, so while we might not be able to get Thomas back in to do uh, another recording, um, we do correspond with him regularly, and we can uh, address your questions that way. So again, thank you, and drop us a line. This podcast is brought to you by Timesys. Check out our new site to get free code, discuss, and learn about embedded Linux development. Go to timesys.com today.